Well, hello, Bible Love listeners. Um, today is Thursday, October 24th, or October 21st, excuse me, I've got the wrong date, but tomorrow is Friday, October 22nd, and because I love to embarrass him, it is my partner in crime and co-host of the Bible Love podcast, Alan Ventrip's birthday tomorrow. He is younger than me, but as I always tell people, I look a lot younger than he does. So happy birthday, Alan. And we're going to start with a prayer for you. So the Lord be with you. And also with you. Also with you. Oh God, our times are in your hand. Look with favor, we pray on your servant, Alan, as he begins another year. Grant that he may grow in wisdom and grace and strengthen Alan's trust in your goodness all the days of his life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Happy birthday, Alan. We love you. Thank you. Thank you. And today we are joined by the Reverend Dixon Kisner, who is the rector of St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Um, Dixon and I have a long history. We knew each other from the Diocese of Tennessee and worked together in the Diocese of um, North Carolina. And he is my friend, great guy, um, and a scholar. I mean, but, but in a, in a scholar, a way that we can all understand. And Dixon is not going to, um, go over our heads today. I know. Um, but you are here, Dixon, to wrap up Joshua with us, um, which has been an interesting journey. Um, Joshua, I, I don't know about you, Alan, but like, I had not spent a lot of time in Joshua before. So this is all sort of a new, new thing for me. Um, so we had to bring on a lot of guests. We brought on Greg Farron. We brought on Cynthia Bridge Kittredge. We were like, we're not handling this by ourselves. Um, so now we've got Dixon. So welcome, Dixon. So glad you're here. No, thank you so much for having me. It's really, it's, it's truly an honor to be part of this, like, collection of episodes on Joshua. Um, although I did find it interesting that like Greg gets like Jericho and the Jordan river and Cynthia Kittredge gets the overview. And they're like, let's give all the like really technical real estate allocations to Dixon. <laughs> you know, only because we knew you could handle it. Dixon. We knew <laughs> it, it, it. It's as if somebody walks up and is like, here are the terms and conditions pages from your Apple software upgrade. Preach this. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. That's this part of Joshua you, feels like. We have to give you a challenge, Dixon. So <laughs> welcome and glad you're here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No, it really is. It's super cool and I'm I'm honored. Um I was you know, we were talking beforehand. I I mean this section of Joshua is it, it it's basically like the the time when they're divvying up all of the lands that they've taken over. Um, and, um, if you've been listening to the podcast before, we sort of talked about all of the, the, the structure of the book as a whole. And this is like the last chunk of it, um, which is basically 
you know, what eight chapters of real estate allocation with very little narrative and then two farewell speeches. Um, but, you know, the thing that I always find interesting about the Hebrew Bible is like, it's written to be meditation literature. So like you can read it at first pass and kind of catch what's going on. You're like, yeah, I got it. Got the story, got the flow. But when you start to get down like layers deeper and you get granular with it, there's all these details that actually illuminate new truths and like deeper things. Um, so I was thinking about pointing some of those out that I thought were interesting. Yeah. Um, if that sounds absolutely. like something we would do on the Bible of podcast. Um, so like, I think the first thing is my section starts with Joshua, you know, basically telling the people, okay, I'm getting old. Um, it's time to divvy this thing up. But then very quickly is like, however, we haven't quite taken all of it over yet. Um, and so there's this like, element throughout this whole section of Joshua that you, you sort of recognize it's not a completed task, which goes to some of the, the anxiety people have about, is it history? Is it not? And it's, it's theological history. It's like this, this, it's a kind of literature that, that we don't engage with, uh, all the time. And so, um, but when, when they're going through all these like allocations of this tribe gets this and you get this section here and this there, um, what you start to see is there's all these like callbacks to different stories from earlier in Torah. Um, and so it's, it's kind of cool. It's like at the end of survivor when they used to like walk by all their fallen tribe mates, you know, on the way to the last tribal council, that's sort of what this is. Um, Great so I thought that was kind of call. interesting. Great. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, so that was kind of cool. Um, you get, you get Caleb's allotment in this and that's significant. Um, because Caleb, Joshua and Caleb are like the two spies that when they go into the land, um, come back and are like, we can do this. Let's take it. Let's, let's, let's follow God's directive. And so, um, his portion and allotment is, is part of that reward. Here's what's interesting about Caleb. And this will be germane to some stuff I want to say at the end, if we get to it, is that, um, his dad is a Kenizzite, which the history of that tribe, it's an old Canaanite tribe. So Caleb, even though he's an Israelite, his, his heritage, he's got this like dubious lineage, which is completely consistent with like your Rahab energy from earlier in the book. You know, it's like the faithful outsider. Um, his name in Hebrew means dog and kind of good hearted. Or, or heart. So there's this like, like the, the tribe of Caleb was represented by a dog. Um, they, they used to think in like an ancient world and totems. And that also he's like the kind of the outsider that shows the heart of the faithful Israelite, you know? Um, so already, and, and as has been the case, God is like, yeah, it, this whole thing is bigger than blood. It's always going to be about more tribes than just y'all. You're going to be the tribe for the other tribes. And that's kind of baked into the story the whole time through. Oh, I'm so interested to learn more about Caleb. I, you know, I'm, I, I feel like I forget this stuff from seminary or maybe nobody taught it to me. I don't know. But like I was all into Rahab last time. Now I'm into Caleb. I wonder if a lot of people name their dogs Caleb. Have y'all thought about it? <laughs> my very first parish, I was a youth minister and I had somebody ask me, 
about Caleb and they wanted to name their kid Caleb. And I was like, uh, uh yeah, that's, that's a Bible name. I didn't think about it. And they named their kid Caleb. Had I been asked that question today, I might've led with in Hebrew, it does mean dog, <laughs> which depending on how you feel about dogs could be good or bad. Right. Super I just named my kids after athletes and superheroes. Right. I don't worry about biblical names. <laughs> I knew too. I knew Dixon and Allen would enjoy each other. They both have a superhero comic. I see. I see yeah. Thor's hammer. Yes. 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 Okay. Only are prominent. Okay. What else All you right. got for us? So there's this whole thing through this section where you're again at, at a more kind of granular level. You find these like throwaway verses that feel like it's just like a random detail. Um, but when you take it in the scope of this whole thing, especially if depending on how you arrange Joshua, if it goes kind of with Torah or with the history books, um, has an interesting kind of interpretive overlay. But like, um, in chapter 16 and 17, you get these stories where the, the at the land is given away. And then it says stuff like they did not dislodge the Canaanites living in Gezer. To this day, the Canaanites live among the people of Ephraim, right? So they're still there um, in a lot of these places. Um, and then it says, and they were required to do forced labor. The same happens with the uh, Manasites. They they go through, there's still Canaanites there, um, and they don't drive them out, but they make them do forced labor, which of course is interesting for the people whose God is Yahweh, mm-hmm. because why? They were slaves. And already here, they are making other slaves. And it that is sort of like a, like, if, if this was a movie, you know, it's like, bum, bum, bum. And like the, the lighting gets dark, you know, like, and, and what's going to happen, of course, because they're writing this, you know, most likely in exile, but it, it's certainly way after the time um, that their own nation is fractured. Is they're going to be like, yeah, part of our problem was Solomon oppressed our own people to build the temple of Yahweh. Like that's that they know that part of their story. And so those things getting kind of laid into these details um, is super important and interesting to me. So it's, it's kind of like, there's this whole like faithful, not faithful thing in this part. It's like drive out the Canaanites, except we totally almost didn't, you know, uh, the theme we be, a lot yeah. here in Joshua, right? I mean, yeah. or and uh, Alan, I mean, all of them, right? All of yeah. this, all, this faithful, not faithful, faithful, not faithful, which I mean, I'm not sure I would be either after seeing all this stuff going on. I mean, I can, I can kind of like relate to them a little bit, right? And I think in Joshua, Joshua goes to great lengths to kind of overplay God's faithfulness, if you can overplay God's faithfulness, but he really hammers home everything like everything god promised has come true like has it maybe but but then on the flip side is that a way to say you know we're not holding up our end of the bargain and and you think about this right like yeah it's like 10 chapters of real estate contracts but these are people that were um if there's anyone still alive that was um in bondage or people who were born in slavery, or people who were born when you're wandering. So these are people that have never had land of their own. So what's the first thing they do when they're presented with land of their own is they try to conquer it and get more land. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. And so like, even when they're given this gift and land was everything back then, and it still is today. Um, but even when folks were given this by God, it doesn't seem like it's enough. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it, it's such a good point, Alan. And it's like, it's part of why, like when, when you get to these farewell addresses at the end, like in chapter 24, you know, Joshua, you, he's, he's giving them this whole, like, um, you know, be faithful to God or it's not going to go well for you. You know, this is like the big thing he wants them to know. And it's very, it's, it's where like the verse that everybody quotes from Joshua, if you don't know, Joshua is like, you know, be strong, courageous, or you know, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, you know? And it's like, usually you know, in cross stitch over someone's front door, you know, or, or when I lived in Nashville, the YMCA had all these like banners on the wall with like Bible verses that they thought related to exercise. And so you would have like, you know, like be strong and courageous. And this guy is like bitch pressing, you know, or, you know, as, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And like these two dudes are like curling this, you know, these huge muscles. So it's like, I feel like that verse gets the like, um, out of context treatment a lot. And when you throw it in context, it's another faithful, not faithful. Cause it's like, there's all these other houses that are like, yeah, we're going to not do the Yahweh thing. I'm feeling pretty sure we're going to go over here and do Canaanite gods. Cause like, that's what our neighbors are doing. And the kids love the youth group. And so we should just probably go. <laughs> and inner marriage was a problem. And so maybe these Canaanites were cute and right. And yes, I was a yeah. teenager that went to a church because of my girlfriend and all of that. Right. Like <laughs> that's been a like, problem for a really long time. Apparently. <laughs> I'm telling you, we're it's not exactly the first one, Alan. We're not the first one. <laughs> so, I mean, I think all that stuff, it, it, it's, it becomes really interesting and it's thematically cohesive. You know, I mean, the, it definitely, it's tedious to read, maybe even for ancient peoples, but like, it's certainly, it's about the fulfillment of this promise that God made a long time ago, you know, and here it is and it happened and we did it. But the people that are inheriting it are fraught with sin, just like everybody else. And, you know, it's going to ultimately, as they know, it's it's not going to go well for them. Um, and Dixon, I think that's really important, too, because when we're reading the Bible, sometimes we're like, oh, this is so tedious. This feels like real estate paper or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But I love you have found the excitement in it. You've found that, like, not just the excitement, but also, like, this is actually important for us to understand, you know, and it's not just like, Oh, let me skip that part. You know, because that sounds like I was telling them before my Gordon fee thing was like, this is not an interesting part of, you know, Um, but, but I I appreciate that the lens you're bringing to it is important because it's all important in how we read it and how we understand it and how we interpret it. Um, And this was people's lives, you know, and what they were going through at the time, you know, and, trying to get our heads around that and what that means. And that's important for us to understand our history. And, and real estate contracts are not interesting until your neighbor wants to build a garage. that's going to end up on your property. Then, and then you're become super interested in where the property line is. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> so much for bringing that. Now you said before we started that you had some good comparisons that you wanted to do. Um, 
<laughs> yeah. Do you want to talk about violence or do you want to talk about Jesus? Uh, let's talk about violence and Jesus. Violence. Yeah. Okay. Let's do, let's do that. Um, <clears throat> so I, I, having listened to the other episodes, um, I love that in every one of them, the podcast has addressed the Canaanite conquest. Um, and is it a genocide? Is it not like how, how to talk about it? The, the lessons to take from it um, and the things not to take from it, you know, um, like in the, and just, just really good kind of layered and nuanced stuff. <clears throat> and one of the things that I kept finding myself um, feeling as somebody that walks people through this in a parish is I get questions about this kind of stuff a lot from people that either are like, this is why I don't read the Bible. Because it's so backward and archaic and it's, you know, we can't, we can't really give any sort of credibility or authority to a story where the main character kills a whole bunch of people because they're living on his perceived property. Um, And, or people that are like, I feel like this is kind of rattling my faith with regard to the authority claims that I give to the Bible. Cause like, isn't it like the word of God isn't, you know, like, and so there are, uh, y'all have done a good job of kind of pulling apart some of the, you know, the things with the authority claims. And I think particularly the way Anglicans read the Bible, but make it, you, here's the truth of it, you know, that, that can be dismissed from the historicity or whatever, but the violence stuff is a problem and it, it's weird. And so some of the things I wanted to just add to yes. kind of further complexify engagement with violence in Joshua and kind of biblical violence. Um, <clears throat> the first is to remember that like in the ancient world, this was totally how tribes established themselves. And Alan, I think you said that in one episode and like to really underscore that, like this is written, you know, about a, t- a time and place that we're not familiar with, but like 100% in 4,000 years, if human beings are still on this planet, they're going to look at 2021 and be like, you did what? Like there will be stuff that feels primitive and barbaric. Um, so there's always a way that I want to like try to circumvent like the chronological snobbery that comes when you look at a text like this. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> the other is, I think it's important that like God in giving this command, like, and this, there's a scholar named John Walton that points this out. It's God isn't like go commit genocide. God says, drive them out, right? Now, there's other language that I'm going to get to in a second that is more intense. Um, but it's it's a different kind of thing than like, kill them all, like God sort them out. It's like the sense of the the problems were the lifestyles of the Canaanites were deeply destructive. You know, like, again, hashtag Leviticus, like they wouldn't have had to write it down if it wasn't a problem in the community. <laughs> so like, these are things that are not good for human beings and they're flourishing in God's new world. And so it's like, we, we don't want to have this as part of it. So Walton's sort of like, when you read these stories, yes, they're primitive. Yes, they're barbaric, but it's a lot more like, how do we get rid of this destructive culture, not this destructive people? Um, even though, yes, it's a horror show of violence. Um, but I think that's a a complexity that you have to be able to hang with in these ancient texts. Um, really important distinction, Dixon, too. It's it's not the people, it's the acts that we need yeah. to concentrate on. And we 
you know, Alan, uh, Alan, this is Alan's imagery, but, you know, we love to talk about the shampoo bottle and all the things that were written on the, on the side of it. You know, these things happen because somebody did it and we need to figure out how to not do it anymore. Right. Yes. Kind of look through it. And that lens I think is, is super important. So thank you for that distinction. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's also interesting that in there, like, this is not an, un. this is to Alan's point too. It's not an unbridled, um, like just go have at it. It's like there are boundaries to the conquest that are given. It's like, don't go farther than this. Don't do this. This is how you're to deal with prisoners of war. This is that, which yes, it's like totally crazy and primitive to think about today. But like back then that was like progressive. It was radical. You know, this was like, this was like the liberals are showing up and being like, what if we don't kill everybody? Right. What? You know, um, and the, the places they're attacking, there was always peace on offer and they're military outposts. They're not cities, which, again, a granular level just starts to reveal a, a, a different kind of picture that is harder to see. I don't want to come across like I'm saying. And this is why it was good that all those people died. <laughs> like that's, I think you're giving us really good context in reading it. Like to, to understand some of the details in this, um, not that we're like everybody go out and kill everybody, but like the understanding behind it, and that's really helpful to me. Because I, I, it's like you have to read the the literature on its own terms, you know. Um, which all right, let me to the last part that I found really interesting in this is that um, there's this whole genre in here of like in the ancient world of battle idioms. And the way that basically conquerors would talk about their own conquest is they would use like really extreme and hyperbolic language to like elevate what the victor had done and show like how much they dominate. It's basically like pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. They're like, I'm going to come in there, Tony Schiavone, and I'm going to tear your arms. Like they use these kind of like big, you know, loud, you know, violent images to describe how in charge they're going to be. Um, and that the ancient world did this um, a lot. Um, we have idioms today like raining cat and dogs. We don't think that means that. Um, but when you encounter this stuff and you see, um, you know, God give commands to the people in Deuteronomy to like, like no, nothing was left alive that breathes or it was totally destroyed or they, they left no survivor. Well, Actually, the same things were said about Israel by like particular, particular Egyptian pharaohs. Um, there's one from 12, uh, 1200 who boasts of like this military victory over Israel. And it's on, it's on a tablet and it says that Israel was totally laid to waste. His seed is not right. Well, we, that's not what happened. Like Israel's still here, you know? So it's this like, it's basically ancient trash talk. It's like they're, they're, they're talking smack. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's like some of the language that's in here, you know, we approach it for a lot of different reasons as if it's, you know, literal, but its function is actually to just sort of talk about how in charge God is over all these plans. It doesn't mean they really went in and, you know, nothing was left alive that breathes, so to speak. Really helpful. All right, Dixon, we do have a little bit of time. So tell us about Jesus. All right. <laughs> in, that, in two minutes or less. In two, t- all right. 
I, know, I feel like I've been talking to you, but where's the conversational part of Bible love? I don't know. I know. You've had such great things to say. We, we're loving it. All right. My, my super nerdy Jesus thing is this. All right. So um, basically, you know, Jesus's name is Joshua, right? And so when Jesus shows up, like he's, he's wrapping the Joshua imagery around himself. He's doing this for all the parts of of Israel's story. You know, it's only it takes 12 disciples, like the 12, 12 tribes, but like he gets baptized in the Jordan river, right? Like this is Joshua's place um, where he goes into the wilderness is where Jericho was. Um, so he's, he's playing with the Joshua imagery a lot, which should tell us something at least in the Christian tradition about what, what the place of violence is in God's kingdom. Because if Jesus is like the new Joshua that's like leading us into following God's promises, and he's the new Moses that's like showing us the way to the new heaven and new earth and the redemption of all creation and the liberation of all uh, peoples, well, then the fact that he comes in taking the punch and not throwing it has to tell us something about how we read violent stories um, in the Old Testament, um, but also the fact that he's born poor and marginalized and victimized is like, Oh yeah, evil is can't be defeated through its own methods. Um, which is also a point that the new Halloween movie makes. If you want to go see that, <laughs> we can talk about that another time. So that's that's kind of one thing, but it it should make you ask, like, well, if if this isn't if this kind of these conquest narratives aren't commensurate with the way Jesus of Nazareth engages and like the way that Jesus um, you know, dies on the cross and, and takes the evil of the world on himself. Like, don't you think somebody would have mentioned it in somewhere in the new Testament? It feels like a really big thing. That's just hanging out there. that doesn't get addressed unless it does. All right. So here's the nerd. Matthew 15 has got this story that you're familiar with about Jesus. And this woman approaches him out um, in the hinterlands um, whose daughter's possessed by a demon. Right. And they have, she says, you know, uh, Lord Jesus Christ, you know, son of David, have mercy on me. Um, you know, my daughter's possessed by a demon and Jesus doesn't answer her. Right. And then, um, when he does answer her, she keeps carrying on. The disciples try to send her away. Um, and she says, he says to her, finally, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. So she comes and kneels before him and says, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Um, and Jesus says to her, and then she says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus is like, oh my gosh, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. Okay. So this story in Mark is ascribed to a Syrophoenician woman in Matthew. It's ascribed specifically to a Canaanite woman. Mm-hmm. All right. Which is interesting because that's the only reference to the Canaanites in the entire new Testament. And so you're like, wait a minute. That's an interesting detail. What's that about? And so you start to press down and you're like, all right. So first off, like the Canaanites are the ancient enemies of Israel. And so we have the son of David, the, the victor, interacting with the, con- the conquered, um, the Canaanite woman, right? Um, and there's all these like cues in there about are, are they are they just talking about their contemporary relationship or their past relationship? And this is where the stuff about Caleb's really interesting, right? Because the word dog shows up in this story, right? And you're like, wait, dog? I recognize that. 
that's like referencing Caleb and all this Joshua stuff. And then there's stuff in there um, where they start, are talking about the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Okay. This is, you know how in the Bible, there are some of the truths that it's communicating come from the story itself. And some of it comes from the structure of how it's laid out. Mm-hmm. All right. So this story about Jesus and the Canaanite woman comes in between the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. All right. So the feeding of the 5,000 happens where Jesus is distributing bread to all the people. And at the end, the apostles gather up 12 baskets, right? Which 12 is obviously a ring for, oh, the 12 tribes of Israel, right? This is about God's provision of mercy, grace, this kingdom for the 12 tribes, among lots of other things. Then we have this story about Jesus and this Canaanite woman where she wins him over and the outsider, like Caleb, demonstrates the authentic faith. Where who, you know, who, who has faith like this in all of Israel, right? She does, the Canaanite, just like Caleb, right? Then the next story is the feeding of the 4,000. And they gather up after that one, seven baskets of bread. Now, it, should, it kind of feels like that's a redundant story. You're like, what's this about? Like, why didn't we already do this? You know, like, is Jesus like, is it an encore? You know, Um, but what's interesting is seven baskets is a really particular number when it comes to Canaanites, because in Deuteronomy seven, when God tells them to take the land that they ultimately do in Joshua and then allocate in our section of Joshua, there are seven nations that Mm -hmm. God says to drive out of of that land. One of them is the Canaanites. Right. And so there's this way that this this interaction Jesus has with the Canaanite woman is an inversion of that relationship and particularly the conquest that happened, because what you're seeing is that the provision of God isn't just for the 12 tribes of Israel. It really is for the ancient enemies of Israel, too, because in Jesus, the Christ, there are no more enemies. And all are invited into this kingdom, right? Which is a pretty amazing thing to see how this is like, as as the New Testament era, basically the gospel writers wrestling with the legacy of the Canaanite genocide and writing into these gospel stories, uh, particular ways to address it, or at least bring some complexity to it. Fascinating. Like, I mean, I don't even feel like I, I'm like sitting here thinking, who let the dogs out? I mean, (laughs) because you just blew it up. That is amazing. Um, And I love that when we think about these harsh stories, things that might feel really hard, like, you know, they're right there in the gospel too, you know, And, and, and we don't have to separate the two. It's all God showing us in a lot of different ways, right? Um, okay. I'm so sorry, but we are past our time and we got to wrap it up, which only means that Dixon, you need to come back again because you were perfect and wonderful. And thank you so much for sharing your love for God's people. Listeners, as always, we love you, but most importantly, God does. 